Wow. Gosh, you guys, you look, you look good. Sound good. A lot of energy. Looks like the same out at Midlothian. Y'all didn't need that hour of sleep. So don't whine about it on Facebook this afternoon. I know the truth. Y'all don't want to turn it back next week. How about that? No, we won't do that. That's getting crazy. Hey, y'all do look good this morning. Good to see everybody here. So uh, not this past week, but a, a, the week before that, I was in uh, Texas. I was in Dallas for a couple of days for a, a ministry kind of business type meeting that I was involved with. And being in Texas, I, I went down to Houston at the end of that for the day to, to see my parents. Actually, my, my parents had asked my, my sisters and I if there would be a date that we could all come in. And, uh, since I was already in Texas, I said, how about that one? And, uh, so we went down for the date. They called us in for a family meeting. Yeah. Oh, see, y'all been to one of these, huh? Oh, no. This is, they call us down to a family meeting and say, we're going to go downtown and there's going to be a lawyer and a CPA. And I'm thinking, for, for a family meeting, we need a, a well, I'm bringing my lawyer and, and a bodyguard. Now, you should see my sisters. Whew. I'm telling you, there's something. So, no, it was, uh, it was pretty much like I would anticipate for my mom and dad. They, uh, just vary about doing things kind of right and good and in order. And they wanted to kind of bring us together to kind of discuss their will and kind of end of life directives and all that kind of thing and you know it's the first time I've been in a conversation like that it's it's not comfortable is it it's not like hey well let's talk about this but you know I, I tell you what having been in ministry having journeyed with some families through times like that end of life and wills and all this it's uh I appreciate my parents I appreciate them having a plan communicating the plan, giving us a chance to discuss and ask questions and kind of be unified around the plan. Because I'm guessing I'm not the only one in here that noticed this. When you get to the end of life and wills, and that brings out like the crazy in families, doesn't it? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You know, it's funny, even, even Jesus ended up between two brothers and an inheritance, let me show you where that happened. Look with me this morning at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I hope you have a, a Bible with you or a, 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 an app, a Bible app on your phone. And get to Luke chapter 12, over two-thirds of the way through your Bible into the New Testament. The Gospels there, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 12, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. Now, I, I want you to understand where we are as we come up into verse 13. If you look at verse 1, it's kind of a, a strange line there. It refers to thousands of people being there, thousands of people following Jesus. And, and the, you know, that's not unusual. We've read that. We've seen that, man. He's always got, Jesus is where it's happening, right? I mean, on the good side, they're very intrigued by what he's teaching. And, and I think part of that, too, is I don't want to miss the show, right? I mean, if he's going to do a miracle, I want to see it. I, want to, I saw that miracle he did. So there are these thousands following. But if you already have your Bible open, look at verse 1. It says there's these thousands. But then it says that he, he turns to or he speaks first to his disciples, that's kind of odd because it, it seems like Jesus is making some distinction between what is just a crowd and, and what are actual followers. 
but, but it, if he's turning to, so like, like if y'all are the crowd and I'm Jesus, because I'm, I'm the one in here most like Jesus, right? And, uh, and so if you're the crowd and I'm turning first and talking to my disciples, what, is that, what does that look like? And so, do I turn up here to my disciples? Okay, so here's the thousands, but I turn and I talk to the, to the dozens. I don't, I don't know the number. I mean, we know there was at least 12, right? But the 12 were not the only ones. And, and so there's the, here's the thousands, but I turn and I speak to the, to the dozens. Can y'all hear what I'm saying? Do, y'all, do, do you know what's happening between me? Why does he do that? I, I'll be honest with you, I don't quite get the picture here. I, I don't quite understand what's happening and, and if the crowds can hear. But if you read verse 1 and, and kind of verses 2 to 12 are what he's teaching to the dozens. Why the thousands are out there and I would say at least watching if not also hearing. And so it's in the midst of that happening that we have a question come from deep left field. And, and that's where verse 13 brings us into. So look there, verse 13 of Luke 12 Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable. A parable is a story for, with a point. It's a teaching story. It, usually his parables, his stories, they correspond to reality. In other words, they're not make-believe. It, you, you'll never hear Jesus tell a parable about a three-headed giraffe. Okay, that's, that's not real. That's not what a parable is. not make-believe. It's, it's a story, but it's not necessarily a true story. I mean, as he tells this story, nobody in the crowd is going, oh, I think he's talking about Bill. No, he's not talking about anybody in particular. It's just a story to teach a point. In this case, probably to teach a point about coveting. And now I've lost my spot. Where am I? Uh, What verse was I on? Does anybody know? Uh, There is, yeah. Verse 16. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they've neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? 
And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another way to say that last line, wherever your money is, your heart's nearby. Whatever you're investing your money in, that's what your, that's what your heart is invested in. So we, we have the crowds... We have, we have Jesus teaching to his followers, and this question comes. And if you were to read verses 1 to 12, that they weren't talking about money or inheritance or, or anything like that. And so while this looks like an interruption, and, and it is, while it looks like it's off topic, and it is, do you see how Jesus picks it up and runs with it? Now when I say he picks it up and runs with it, did you notice Jesus never answered the guy's question? It doesn't say, well, you need to do this, or yeah, can I come by your house at three, or tell your brother. No, he never really answers the question, and that's not actually uh, unusual. There's a number of places in the Gospels where, uh, uh, you know, a question comes from a, a nameless person in the crowd. Sometimes it's maybe from one of the Pharisees, and, and this question, this challenge is put out there, and, and Jesus picks it up and runs with it, but he doesn't answer the question. I don't think that's to suggest that Jesus doesn't care. As a matter of fact, I think we can go to a variety of passages in the Old and New Testament all throughout the Bible and we'll see, man, God cares about what's on your heart. He cares what you're dealing with, what you're frustrated with, what you can't get an answer to when there's, when there's family that, that's not, you know, not together. He cares about all that, has answers for it. So God does that, but I think maybe what we're seeing here a little bit is the human side of Jesus. Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. And I tell you what, as a man, I think Jesus is on mission. He is on task, and he doesn't let hardly anything pull him off of that. Imagine Jesus, if you will, coming up out of the waters of baptism. And I I refer to his baptism because that's when his public ministry began. That's when the clock starts to tick. He is on a three-year beeline toward the cross. He's now, his task is to, to pay the penalty for your sins and my sins, to, to create an opportunity where you and I, can you imagine this, can be found righteous before God. No fear of his returning. No fear of that night that our soul is required of us. He's on a task to get us there. And while he's going there, he is teaching us about God and about life and and how to behave with each other. And so he's on task. He's on mission. He's not his mission to dive into a family squabble. But he does pick it up and say, well, now let's talk about this. And he says, watch out for coveting. When's the last time you used the word coveting? We don't, we don't, I mean, we all know what it means, right? You know, I want something. But we don't really use that word. And, and I'm going to step out on a limb and say, and we don't really consider ourselves guilty of that sin, do we? I, you know, I'd actually be shocked if anybody in this room in the last month have said, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry for the coveting in my life. We, we just, I, I get, we're just a good room. We don't, we don't, we're not like that, are we? We don't covet. 
probably should have confessed it in the last seven days. You know how I know? Because you're an American. Coveting is what the whole system we live by. Now, you know, what, what, what is, you know, co- coveting is not just about you want something or, or you want more here. Jesus is not saying you're sinning if you want another cookie. You're, you're sinning if you say, gosh, I'd like a steak tonight. Well, you know what? We really need a new, we need a new refrigerator, don't we? That, that, that's not a sin. Wanting something, wanting stuff is not a sin. Really what coveting is more the idea of is, is now all of a sudden I have this need, need, right? Not a real need. I have this need because of what I've seen somebody else has. I mean, that, that's, that's the whole American way of life. You and I are bombarded with more advertisements than we could probably even count in a single day. From the radio to the magazines to the TV. I mean, here I am. I'm just walking down the road just as happy as I could be, satisfied with all God's goodness in my life until I see an ad. <gasps> I could be so much happier. I could have so much better. This could be so much cleaner. This could be so much faster. Oh my gosh, I, I really don't have any. I got to go out and get that. Because I see what my neighbor has. I want his wife. I want his riding lawnmower. I want his car. I want, that's coveting, right? That, that, that's what Jesus is, is challenging here. This, this idea of just constantly wanting more, wanting better, because it's real easy for sooner or later, you and I, we begin to shape our whole life around stuff. Now, that's not something unique to America. I, I do think as Americans, it's kind of like one of our core values. But it's, it's, it's a human issue. And so to explain what Jesus is talking about, he tells this story. Now, here's what's interesting about the story is as he's describing this guy to everybody, you know what they would have generally been thinking? Boy, that's a blessed guy right there. That guy has the the crops he has, he has the barns he has, because God has blessed him. You know, you and I will do that, won't we? We'll look at somebody and say, man, God's, God's favor is on that life. God's blessing is on that person. We do it some. We do it some. They would have done it a lot more and probably believed it more than you and I do it. You, you and I have a tendency, don't we, to just kind of attribute most things to just natural causes, natural results and consequences. They kind of tied everything to the supernatural. And so when they see something good happening, they, boy, that's God. Now, the reason I say that as they're all saying, look what God is doing in his life. Can you imagine, you know, play screeching brakes here. Can you imagine kind of the showstopper it was when Jesus is quoting God, calling the guy a, a fool. Like, wait, what? I mean, folks, I, I wasn't there. <laughs> but I'm guessing there was murmuring in the crowd. Did he say fool? Why would he have called him a fool? That's, that's the life we're all trying to have. That, that's, that's the blessed life. Why, why is he calling him a fool? You see, that, that would have really stood out to them. Now, you know, the story's short, right? It's not like in chapter 2 we have character development. No, we're not, we're not told a lot about this, this guy. I mean, it's a very quick story. But, you know, if you look at what we are told about him, there's nothing negative about this person. We're not introduced to the idea that he's a crook. He, he's a swindler. Oh, this, is, this guy's just really mean. He's a nasty cussing. No, there's, there's nothing like that. As a matter of fact, when you look at the facts of the story, what, what we have here is a guy that appears to be pretty wealthy, 
Because he's worked hard and he's planned wisely. Is that fair to say? Look at the story. That, that's what Jesus told us about him. The guy's worked hard. He's planned wisely. Listen, folks, it's not a sin to build a barn. It's not a sin to build a bigger barn. It's not a sin to manage and, and to plan. That, that's not what Jesus is. What's the story about? It's about coveting. The, the issue that Jesus is challenging here is that this guy is making his life only about stuff. His only priority is his stuff. And I'm not, I'm not even sure priority is the best word to you. Because I can have more than one priority, right? Jesus isn't challenging, hey, God's not high enough on your priority list. God didn't even show up, right? I mean, this guy's making plans, he's moving things around, making big decisions, and there is absolutely no thought of God, there's no thought of eternity, there's no thought of others and how maybe God would use me to serve and bless and encourage and help in the midst of of need. There's none of that. Jesus isn't saying you didn't do enough. It, it, it doesn't even show up for the guy. God's not even there. No thought of God, no thought of eternity, impoverished in that, but absolutely abundant and lavish and wealthy on me, on me, on my stuff, on the right here and the right oh, here and now. Here and now, here and now, here. You, you realize those two words are a philosophy of life. And if all I'm living by is the philosophy of here and now, you know a lot of things make sense. Not not just financial issues, sexually, drugs and alcohol, stealing, cheating, using somebody, getting over somebody to promote my cause. All of that actually can make a lot of sense if all I'm shaping, if all I'm evaluating is, is here and now. A lot of things make sense. Until your soul's required of you. And in the blink of an eye, so much of our life can now make no sense at all. So many of our decisions can now make absolutely no sense at all. problem isn't what he was building or what listen i honestly i think jesus could walk right in here and say hey use money use money to build a barn use money to meet needs use money to enjoy life you use use money to have some fun but where in your using of money are you living are you expressing are you showing your devotion to god Do you realize what money is? It's a powerful tool in our lives to help us with a philosophy we struggle with. We struggle with making everything about right here and right now. But where's the end of the story go? Jesus says, hey, you know what? Your heart just like totally runs after your money. So if you will use money, if you'll plant some money in God and in eternity, guess where your heart ends up going? To God in eternity. Money's a tool. Money, money, money's an opportunity to discipline, to shape my heart toward God in eternity and not get stuck just living and making every decision for right here and right now. You know, there's the inheritance question that the guy brings up. That's just a financial question, right? It's a financial issue, a financial problem that I'm having right now. My guess is this room out at Midlothian, 
We're filled right now with financial questions in this room. Some of them are kind of small. Are we going to get that new refrigerator this week? My guess is if it's shut off, you probably are. <laughs> Maybe other things. You know, do we do it this month? Do we do it next month? You know, hey, coming into spring, starting to think about summer a little bit. Just in time for the snow tomorrow. <laughs> But, you know, we're starting, hey, what are we going to do for vacation? How much are we going to spend on vacation? We've got all kinds of financial issues. And Some of them are quite a bit bigger than that. What about college? What about this debt? How in the world are we going to deal with this? All kinds of financial questions right now in this room. Not off long time ago when a story. No, right now in this room, we're filled with financial questions. And my guess is a good number of us are probably kind of asking God about that, right? Hey, Lord, what, could you help? Will you provide? What, what's the wise thing to do here? And, and folks, you know, in this story, we see the beginning of, God, of God's answer to any and every question we're asking right now. Because I think what you'll hear Jesus say through this story is start with God and eternity. Start. Whatever decision you're making, start. Work through that. Think through that. Think about your devotion to God. And think about eternity. Now, the reason I put the word start is to tell you to imply, hey, that's not the entire answer. That's not the entire answer. That's not the specific answer to when and where you get a refrigerator or where you're going on vacation. But, But you start with that. You start with, hey, how are we using our finances to express our devotion to God, to live for and with God? How are we thinking about eternity? And then we move from there to, okay, now what's the second thing we need to look at and think through in this financial question? And Man, I look through the scriptures and, and man, God's got words. God's got answers for debt and for savings and for spending and, and planning. All the issues we've got, there's, there's scripture in there, but it starts... It starts with just our devotion to God. It starts with eternity. And Jesus seems to be saying here, you know, if you'll let that be your starting point, the rest really works out. The rest will really work out. Now, we've got to understand what that means. That's not saying, hey, give something to God and everything, yeah, money comes pouring in. There's some churches that teach that, right? There's some preachers that teach The scripture doesn't say that. G- giving is not a rabbit's foot. It's not a lucky charm. You give and everything goes well this week. You give and you get richer. Jesus is talking about just a a better life, a simpler life. He says, hey, listen, if you start with the idea of God and turning, you know what's going to happen? First of all, you're really going to take care of a lot of worry and stress. I I read a long passage. I know we kind of get lost when a guy's up there reading for a long time. I do. You might have heard me reading there. There's stuff about birds and grass. Yeah, all of that that Jesus was teaching there is, hey, this, this idea of being stressed and worried as we go get stuff to make ourselves happier and all we end up doing is burying ourselves under the stuff. He says, hey, listen, there's, there's an easier life than that. Just kind of focus on God and his kingdom. We, we, we've got a directive there. There's just, there's just a better life. And that's what God has for us. That's what Jesus has for us. And when I give, I still have to be wise with the rest of it, I still have to do what's right and appropriate and not do what's not right and appropriate for it all to work. But it starts with God. It starts by thinking about eternity. You know, the last couple of weeks we have been looking at loving Jesus 
and primarily how we love Jesus by loving the church. You know, to come to church and hear about loving Jesus, that's not exactly a radical concept, is it? We, we, we kind of anticipate, when I go to church today, I'm going to be told how to love Jesus. Maybe what we've not always connected with that is how significant a part of loving the church is. Because if I love Jesus, then I'm going to love what he loves, and man, does Jesus love the church, Right? That's, that's what we looked at two weeks ago. We looked at a, a variety of passages that showed that Jesus is committed to, devoted to. He is all about the church. It, the church isn't something he loves. It is the thing he loves. And so as his follower, then I'm going to love the church. And we came back last week and we said, now what does it mean to love the church? You know, a lot of what Jesus was talking about was the capital C church. The church universal. All believers everywhere. And, and, and we've got passages, hey, we're supposed to love all believers everywhere. And we are to do that, right? But where do I really practice and get good at loving all believers everywhere? In a little c local church. Okay, I need to be ready to love believers everywhere, but the way I'm going to practice that day in and day out, week in and week out, is in the little c, the, the local church. So this is where we flesh it all out. Okay, so what does it mean to love the church. What does it mean to love your local church? And we said last week, you know, a lot of times we just kind of get stuck thinking, well, I love my church if I love the sermon and the song. Hey, the sermon and the song's pretty important. But, but there's more than that, right? And so last week we talked about, hey, what would it mean not just to love any local church, but, but to love the Heights, the, the church most of you have chosen to, to be a part of. And we tried to put some real meat and bone and, and flesh on, on what it means that we love this place, what, what it is we're giving to, what it is we're serving, what it is we're, we're praying about. And so that was kind of an in general concept of this is what we're loving and how we love. And, and then we come back today and we see Jesus very specifically saying, Hey, if you really want to love what I love, if you really want to direct your heart, use your money. Your money is an opportunity to really shape and funnel your heart to what is so important to me. Is money the only way? Of course not. Of course money is not the only way we love the church. But it's a pretty profound way and it's one that really shapes and directs where my heart ends up. You know, I know know a lot of us in here know this. This isn't the first time we've heard it. And, and sometimes for years, maybe even for decades, we've, we've tried to use money as an opportunity to, to direct our heart toward God and His kingdom, right? And maybe, maybe for some of us in here, this is kind of a new thought, a new idea. I thought I was just supposed to give something so I could go to heaven one day. I thought I'd just give because you know, churches always need money. No, it's, it's, it's a heart issue. It's about, it's about love. You know, a couple of ideas on how we think about how money, how we're using that to grow our love for the Lord, specifically through His church, specifically for us here at the Heights. A couple of ideas. For some of us, this is review and just a reminder and encouragement. Maybe for some of us, this is kind of really a new way to think. But a couple of ideas of how we use our finances. First of all, I think coming out of the Scriptures, I just need to ask myself, what role is money playing and how I love God, live for God, follow God. Where, where, where does finances show up in that? It's a big deal. So if Jesus is a big deal, then my big deals are going to be a part of Jesus' big deal, right? So I'm, I'm going to think about that. What, what role is money playing in how we love the Lord and serve the Lord? 
I think secondly, we ask the Lord. We always want his leadership on what we're doing, right? Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you, what do you want me to give? How, how does that need to show up in my finances? If you've been around here for a while, you know this preacher, not every preacher does. This preacher believes very strongly that, that the scripture does give us a starting point in the, in the word tithe. Uh, that word means 10%. But I also absolutely acknowledge that inside the New Testament, we're given a real freedom. There's a freedom to choose. There, there, there's, there's a freedom to seek God on that and kind of make a decision. And, and so I was ask the Lord. Now, of course, when I'm asking the Lord something, I'm going to see what he has said in scriptures. But Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then as you kind of feel like, okay, here, I've, I've got the, God's leadership now. I've got God's answer. Here's what he wants us to do. Boy, I would say have a plan, have a system for how you're going to do that. That doesn't sound very spiritual or loving, does it? Hey, Karen, I've got a plan and a system for how I'm going to love you. Oh, that's romantic, isn't it? You, you know actually why this is very loving to have a plan and a system? Because if I don't have a plan and I don't have a system, you know what my giving ends up being? An afterthought. A a, a whim. And usually because it's an afterthought, it's just based on what I have on me, which means now it's really kind of a leftover. Let me ask you a question. You ever gotten a gift that you were pretty sure was an afterthought? They grabbed it on the way out. It was in the closet. Make you feel loved. You know what? One time, hey, everybody forgets, everybody gets stuck. So, oh my gosh, it's his birthday, we need to do something. But what if every single time somebody gave you something, it was pretty clear it was an afterthought and and just whatever they could grab? No, we're not going to feel loved by that. So why would we anticipate God does? If if the only time I give is, oh, wait, what, did we, are yeah. And by the way, that's not it. You could, listen, you could give God $10,000. And if it was an afterthought, if it's just something you had left over, hey, the amount doesn't make it love. Listening to God is what makes it love. Really wanting to achieve it, having a plan and a way that I want to get there because I don't want to fall short in this. That, that's what makes it love, not, not the amount. So we have a plan, we have a system. And by the way, that, those words sound so big. It, it means, I, am I going to give monthly? Am I going to give every other week? Am I going to give quarterly? How does my finances come in? And, and we just plan and we budget so that it, it happens. And then lastly, man, I didn't spend hardly any time on this this morning, but that, that was a pretty profound statement in there, wasn't it? Tonight, your soul is required of you. Do you know when you make the decision to be ready for tonight, today? You know, the, the, the reality is very few of us really live in light of that principle or that idea. Because first of all, we just don't like thinking about dying. And second of all, it's just not going to happen to me. I mean, not anytime soon, right? I mean, it's easy to understand why a 17-year-old or a 27-year-old doesn't get it. But you know, my experience is, is the 87-year-old doesn't understand how they became 87. They got there in the blink of an eye. The, the 87-year-old is still looking through a eyes and a mind that was the same as when they were 17. How did I get eight? How did I get to be 87? You know, almost nobody in this room is going to have a chance to say, Wow, look at that. I am dying three years from now. Okay, I've got three years to get it all in order. 
I, I got three years to start fixing and doing the things I should have been fixing and doing. I got to make things right with the kids. I got to do this for this person. And Oh, I, I get the finances in order. Apparently, this is some big, de- big deal to Jesus. A- almost none of us are going to have a runway like that into the night that our soul is required of us. Listen, your, that your night may still be 60, 70, 80 years away. It may be six, seven days away. Listen, I don't think Jesus' goal here is to scare you. Hey, you might die tonight on the way home. I mean, we do that a lot, right, in church? What if you were to die? I, I, don't, I don't think Jesus is trying to scare you that you, you might die today. He's saying, hey, man, be smart. Because there's going to come a moment that where here and now totally fails you. There's going to come a moment where you look back on all the here and nows and you're going to go, oh my gosh, they're completely and totally worthless. Maybe somewhere along the way, I need to start thinking about those decisions. That's not just finances, that's all things. I need to be thinking about God. I need to be thinking about eternity. Because only God and only eternity is what counts. So much of the here and now, not so much, right? You know, you start today with your finances, being ready for that night your soul is required, whenever that might might come. Man, I think we got a, a great opportunity, folks, to love Jesus, right? What's better? What's more important? What's more exciting than my love for Christ and how that love grows, how that love is lived And I look in the scriptures and whatever is all made up of my love for the Lord, the church has to be a centerpiece of that love. Because that's what Jesus loves. And we learn here just one, not the only thing, but but one way to discipline, to shape, to invest that love is is through our finances. Because it's almost like Jesus saying, hey, let's just be honest here. Money is important to everybody. Isn't it interesting? He said that 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago in a little farming community where they'd lived a whole lot more simpler than we did. This isn't just to America. That Jesus is saying this to every human being alive. Hey, let's be honest. Money's a big deal to every single one of us. So much so your heart always goes where your money is. You want to invest in God. Invest in his work. Invest in his kingdom. And watch the love grow. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father... We do love you. I hope we've expressed that well through song. I hope we've expressed that well through commitment to be here today, maybe even without an hour of sleep. Lord, I hope we've expressed that well in the way we treat one another, loving each other, forgiving each other, helping each other. Lord, I hope we express that well in how we handle what's important to us, our resources, our finances. Oh, Lord, I I want it to be so clear in my finances how much I love you. I want want it to be clear today. Man, I sure want it to be clear that night that my soul is required of me. God, I want to be faithful not to paying a bill. I want to be faithful to loving Jesus. And And I ask for your help in that, Lord. We all ask for your help in that. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.